The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The scripture reading from this morning is from Ecclesiastes 11:7 through 12:8. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in your days of youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut, When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to Children's Church, please join our volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign. Thanks, Liz. Good morning. Am I good? Audio? Perfect. Um, my name is Ben. I'm on staff here at Restoration Southside, and we are uh, delighted that you're here with us. Um, again, it's strange to see faces. Um, that's not through either um, a video screen or uh, a car window. Um, and so we are glad that uh, you're here, and if you're online, we're glad that you're watching online um, here at 11 a.m. Um, we are uh, at the end of Ecclesiastes. Uh, next week, we'll finish it up. Jared will bring us home. Uh, and it's an Old Testament book. And it, it, it's um, written in language that feels a bit antiquated, right? It's hard to understand at a first glance. And, um, and yet, it, it holds this great power of looking at life in a sober manner. And after uh, we finish next week in Ecclesiastes, uh, we will uh, be studying. I'm going to take my mask off. Um, we will be studying Philippians, and it's a New Testament book. It's, it's a letter um, written to a people who are uh, um, with a specific message, um, and it's about joy. And so uh, one of the things that it's important to note is that just as we're in the Old Testament now, and just like we're going to be in the New Testament in a few weeks and begin our fall sermon series in Philippians, uh, the Bible has a, a wide swath, a vast array of emotions that it addresses. Uh, and that is to say, um, there are things in the Bible 
that don't just feel like it's written long, long, long ago. Actually connects to the modern day. Uh, it touches on the things that you and I feel and um, celebrate in and are plagued with and all of these different things. Uh, and so because of that, I don't know what uh, you need this morning or in this season of life. But it's important to note that uh, these words do have immense, uh, not just relevance, uh, but truth and a balm. And so uh, with that in mind, I, I am glad that you're here this morning, and we all are, um, and glad you're here online as well. So uh, with that in mind, um, let's look at Ecclesiastes. Uh, in, in the country music industry, um, usually there are um, heavy hitters, folks who write songs, and they're well-known, and you don't know their names, maybe, but you know the songs they've written. And, and one uh, songwriter uh, had his first big hit in 1989 uh, with a group called uh, The Highwaymen, and it's a super country um, group uh, of heavy hitters like uh, Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash and Chris Christopherson uh, and Willie Nelson. But this uh, 20-year-old, 21-year-old guy had a, had a hit with them. And he didn't have another song recorded for 10 years. And his name's uh, uh, Rivers Rutherford. And Rivers Rutherford uh, didn't have a song uh, published or recorded for 10 years. And in that 10 years, he quit the music industry. And uh, he didn't quit because of his hitlessness. He quit because he became a Christian. And he said, um, a year after his big hit, he, he, first big hit, he became a Christian. And he said, uh, a quote, he said, I quit the country music industry for a little while because I became a Christian in 1990. And I thought that that meant giving up the 10 things I liked doing the most and doing the 10 things that I hated doing the most. And he's, he later on in the interview tracks back and explains how that actually isn't that fruitful of a thought. And... Uh, while it seems silly, it is so true that we equate the Christian life to saying no to so many things that we like doing and are good at and is pleasing, and we have to say yes to everything that is boring and not fun and no one really likes doing. Right? We, it's like broccoli. We know it's good for us, but it doesn't taste very good. And this morning, the writer of Ecclesiastes is speaking into that. Right, this strain we feel of, how do we really live life that's fun and joyful? And the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us a startling message, and it's this. It's that joy in the Christian life is an imperative. It's something that's required of us. And it's imperative because God desires for us to enjoy the creation that he has made. And it's nothing less than that. We are to be a people marked with joy because of who God is. We look at the world and our own stories, and we have to know that joy comes because Creator God is in it. And so with that in mind, we'll look at two points uh, this morning. Uh, first, dismantling disengagement. And second, we'll look at remembering our Creator. So let me pray as we look at Ecclesiastes this morning. Lord, as we just sang, um, that is stronger than the power of the grave and constant in the trial and the change, that your love remains. It's the one thing that does remain. And so, Jesus, this morning, uh, as many of us are in a season of trial and change and, um, 
and some of us may even feel the power of the grave of folks we've lost or, or, or some people we are about to lose. Remind us of a love that you have for us. A love that says there is nothing that can come in between it because you have set your love upon your people and you will not withhold it. Whatever we need this morning, King Jesus, would you uh, remind us that you're king? We pray this in your name, Christ. Amen. So first this morning, we'll look at uh, dismantling disengagement. Dismantling uh, disengagement. Just as that Rivers Rutherford uh, quote and idea got at, uh, there are many things that when we come in contact with Christians and Christianity in the church that we feel like, and it's easy to feel like, it's just saying no to all the stuff, right? You can't say these words, you can't go to these places, you can't be with these people, you can't do these things. It's always saying no, no, no. It's against things, not for things. And the writer of Ecclesiastes addresses that point. And if you look with me in your Bibles or uh, in your bulletin, if you don't have your Bible with you, it says, uh, starting in verse 9, it says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now, whether you're a Christian for many years or whether you're new to Christianity, uh, it seems like this is the quintessential judgment piece, Right? If you're a Christian, it kind of irks you because you don't want to be labeled of, of following a, a religion that's marked with judgment. And if you're not a Christian, you look at it and you think, there it is. It's right there, the J word. And here, it's actually saying something funny. It seems, at first glance, it's like a beer commercial, right? Um, you know, it's the whole entire commercial, and at the very end, it says two words, drink responsibly, right? Have fun, but, but not too much fun, right? Enjoy it, but, but don't go too crazy. That's what it seems like, right? Enjoy life, but, but be careful because there will be judgment. Uh, don't, do, don't do things that are too bad. And actually, the writer of Ecclesiastes is taking a different thought, a different path. We, as Christians, and the church uh, that is made up by the body, is supposed to be so engaged because it looks at the world and says it is good, just as God looked at the world and said it is good. So, we are to be a people who are marked with engagement rather than disengagement. Marked by what we are for rather than what we are against. And here's why. It's because it's in the Bible. In Ecclesiastes, if you look with me, in verse 7, it says, Light is sweet, it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all of them. Let him remember the days of darkness will be many. All that comes in vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, as we just read, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. What is it saying? not saying, be careful, you'll be judged, drink responsibly. The writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes. What he's saying, the first word of God was, let there be light, and it was good. God called it good. The whole entire experience that God had in creation, he had in mind for his people to enjoy it. 
not to shun it or disengage from it, but to totally lean in and make it theirs because it was a gift to them in the first place. So, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, unequivocally, the Christian experience in the life around us is to be one marked with joy because we know everything we see is good because it flows from the hand of the Creator. And if we don't enjoy it, that's actually something that God will judge us for. It's not simply a faith of disengagement. There's actually judgment when we do disengage. One commentator said, failure is, uh, is to enjoy, failure to enjoy is an offense, not merely an oversight. And you can kind of tell there's this a pendulum from uh, kind of the youthful optimism to uh, a seasoned pessimism. He's saying, um, let them rejoice in all the days. Every day you live, rejoice in it. That's the optimism. And then it says, but let them remember the days of darkness will be many. It's honest pessimism. What the writer is trying to say is, as the seasons of life change, as circumstances change, don't let those things that are outside of you, external from you, define who you are and how you're to enjoy the life you have been given. Last week, Jared talked about uh, to live faithful, we have to live with the six inches in front of us. And this week, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, yes, six inches, that's a thing. And you know what? Those six inches are to be engaged with, with complete, utter joy. Because it's from the hand of the Creator. Now, there are many things that do steal that joy from us. It's true. You know, if you're like me, it's um, maybe a grumpiness that, that comes in, right? You adopt the, the attitude of a, a young child that says, I'll, I'll do that thing and, and go there, but I won't be happy about it. Because a dream or a preference or a plan is deferred. It may be anger that steals joy. A thing that creeps in as a, a, a legitimate bona fide thought, but then grows into this wildfire that can't really be contained. It may be comparison, which has been called the thief of joy, right? Apples and oranges, their life looks a whole lot better than yours. And maybe you deserve what they have. It may be a lack of gratitude from knowing what you have will never be good enough, and it's never enough. Maybe it's uh, being denied or disregarded, right? Being thrown away like a piece of trash and kill joy because there's no dignity in yourself when you look in the mirror. And maybe it's arrogance when you look at others, especially in a time right now, and say, they're wrong, I'm right. What are the things in your life that sneak in and, and are thieves to the joy that you feel? Right? What are the items that ask for supreme governance what are the circumstances that say, I need to squash the even semblance of a thought that your life is meant to be good? What seeks to be on the throne of joy and in fact steals all of it? One commentator, David Gibson, said, Christian living collapses when it is not delighted with the bounty God gives. Where is there a lack of delighting that God has given us so much in the six inches in front of us, in the smallest of things. Christianity doesn't ask for us to disengage from things, but rather engage. 
We're not supposed to disengage from the world, and we're also not supposed to disengage from our story. The things that are happening in your life, the things that um, make up this season of life. Why? It's because the Creator God is not just the one who created it, but will win the day and have the last word. Joy is an imperative, but how do we do that? If we're supposed to be joyful, and for some seasons of life, like right now for some of y'all, it may feel like you're telling me to be joyful. That's just one more thing I'm failing at, right? How can I be joyful when X, Y, or Z is happening to me? That just doesn't make sense. And I don't mean to rub salt in a wound at all. Uh, Far from it, actually. What I do ask of you is uh, to examine and see where am I being asked much of and yet to meet it with the knowledge that God is in it. So how do we do that? How do we not have a a license and an allowance to just do whatever we want to in the name of joy, for the sake of joy, but also how do we actually do life well? And the writer tells us in the second and last point, and it's this, he says three words, remember your creator. Remember your creator. He says in the beginning of uh, chapter 12, remember also your creator. Now, he's not saying God or Lord or um, this is the Old Testament, so it's before Christ had come. He's not saying, remember your, your Savior, quite yet. He's saying, remember your Creator. And he's saying, remember your Creator, because as creatures, we are to remember that we are not the Creator. We are not the sovereign over all things. We are not the ones who have all the power. And what that does to us is actually open our hands up and know everything is not dictated by the things that I have to get done and force to happen. Uh, Bono said of Ecclesiastes, if you look at the bottom of your bulletin, it says, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. Bono, the lead singer of U2. It's a book about a character who wants to find out why he's alive, why he was created. He tries knowledge, he tries wealth, he tries experience, he tries everything You hurry to the end of the book to find out why, and it says, remember your creator. In a way, it's such a letdown, yet it isn't. And it does feel like a letdown, right? Solomon is the one who wrote this book, and he had all of the power he could ever want in an empire. He could have all the sex he ever wanted with all of his wives and concubines, all the money, all the prestige, all the wisdom, And he's saying in this book, vanity of vanities, over and over again, he's saying the word hevel in Hebrew, which means smoke, which means it's like smoke and vapor. You can't really grab it. You know it's there, but you can't really grab it. And he's saying it's good if you're young to live with joy because dark days are coming. He says, starting in in chapter 12, verse 1, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the evil draw, uh, and the years uh, draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. He's being an epistemological meteorologist, right? He's looking in the future in the forecast and saying, you're young now. Enjoy it. Because if you try to think Later on down the road, I'll be happy. It's only days of darkness. And he looks and he explains in kind of the symbolism and syllogism uh, in verses 2 through 7, ways that the future does hold darkness. And he talks about the body. And he says in in verses 3, 
uh, in metaphor. He talks about how the eyes become like milk glass, right? You can't see clearly through them. He talks about how the muscles are weakened in verse 3. In verse 4, he says the ears can't really hear. They're, they're muffled. In verse 5, he says hair turns white like a, like a blossom, he says in uh, verse 5, the legs don't work like a wounded grasshopper. He says in verse 6, how the effects of the fall shatter things. Then finally in verse 7, he says, and in the end, after all that, you're just going to be put in the ground just like you came from. You'll be put in the dust. He's trying to say to us, the future failing of the body informs the present working of the body. Uh, that you know what is ahead. One day you will die. One day I will die. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying to us, remember your creator before you get to that point. Because when you do, you'll remember, I'm not king. Actually, our death informs our life greatly. Steve Jobs, as he was at the end of his life going through cancer, he said, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Illusions built by fame or money like I made in my life, I cannot take with me. Death is coming. Sorry, that's, that's somber, I know. And yet the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, before it comes, and before the failing of the body comes, where your eyes are milk glass and you can't hear and you can't walk, he's saying, have joy and remember your creator. So how do we have joy as we remember our creator, Right? It's a nice saying. It's the end of Ecclesiastes, as Bono put. Um, it seems like a, little, a letdown a little bit. It's not quite the silver bullet like we wanted, but yet it's what they prescribe. So how does this prescription of remember your creator work? How does it actually be effective? And what I would offer you this morning is that we can only have joy when we remember our creator, when we remember that we are our creator's joy. We can only have joy remembering our creator when we know that we ourselves are our creator's joy. Uh, we believe great beliefs about who Jesus is, what he did, uh, who he was as fully God and fully man, as we just sang about. And one of those beliefs is knowing that well, he was there at creation. He knew how things uh, were made, right? Growing up, we had a, a friend who was a carpenter, and he always thought, uh, I wonder what, what Jesus thought when he had a piece of wood in his hand. And he probably looked at it and says, I remember the day I created you, as he fashioned it into some kind of furniture, right? We believe stuff like that, that Christ, as God, knows how things turn out in the largest sense if not, we are to be pitied. But in the small sense, all that is to say, because Christ knew how things would turn out for him, he still came to earth and was born in a manger. Uh, the humiliation of it. 
He still did all of these things and walked with disciples and taught them and did all these miracles with people. In the end, he knew how he was going to die. He wasn't surprised that the, the same uh, cross that would, um, his body would hang on, it was the same wood that he made in the beginning. Those nails he made in the beginning. The creatures that killed him, he made them. And yet in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is telling the people who are struggling, uh, in your suffering, you can know this. And in Hebrews 12, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The joy that made Jesus endure the cross connects to our joy in a way that we begin to know there is no thing in our life that Christ does not claim lordship over, which means every brokenness out there in the world and every brokenness inside of here in your own life, that will not win the day. And when we choose to look in its face, those brokennesses and those really acute ways that we feel the fall and we feel our bodies fail, we're saying that is not as true as who Christ is and what he accomplished. Maybe if you're young, maybe you need to know that we remember our creator by choosing joy and not just living by a set of rules. As we follow Jesus, those uh, that joy is cultivated and beautified. And maybe if you're old, you feel the effects of the body that's failing. And maybe you need to know that your creator won't let that win the day. In it all, we're called to remember our creator. As Jared and I's friend Alex Watlington in California says, I am building my life on the promise of Jesus that he, that the resurrection, his resurrection, will give back a hundredfold what we give up. And when we remember our creator, we say to the things of our life that we don't like about ourselves and about the world around us, there is nothing in this world that Jesus will not repay and not rework and not restore a hundredfold. Uh, this week, um, I would ask one thing of you as we finish up. Uh, if you're an Apple Music user, go to Apple Music. If you're on Spotify, go to Spotify. Uh, you can make it private or public, but make a playlist. Make a playlist that you want the songs to be sung at your funeral. When you do that, I myself have it, right? I've entitled it BWH, my initials, funeral. And what that does for me and what I hope it does for you is this. It's planning for the day that you will die. Death is coming. Not to be somber, not to be rude, especially of those of you who have lost some recently. But death is a great equalizer, and yet a playlist like that, a playlist that says, I want this to be sung at my funeral, cultivates a sense in the ways that we live our life before a funeral that we don't want just to be true on the day we're put in the ground and the day we die. But we're saying and protesting the darkness of this world and saying it's true right now. And because of that, I'm choosing joy. That these songs is not, are not just going to be sung when I'm remembered. It's actually going to be sung now in protest 
of the brokenness of this world? Because is the cross not a protest of the brokenness of this world of saying it will not win the day? But the cross of wood and nails, the one that the creator God made and died on, that will win the day. So as we move uh, closer and closer to our death, we remember our creator by choosing joy and not wishful thinking and not escapism and not disengagement, but we choose joy when we lean into the brokenness of this world and we say, this won't win the day because I belong to Jesus and he will. Let's pray. Lord, um, this is a small taste of what is to come. Right? There is no thing you promise to not give back a hundredfold that we have lost. And Lord, what we have lost in the past couple months um, is community because of a virus. Um, we have lost a sense of uh, normalcy because of a virus. We have lost um, people we know because of a virus and many other reasons. May we, as your people, Jesus, as we follow you, look at the darkness of the nooks and crannies of our life and say, there is no square inch that Jesus does not claim lordship over. And because of that, I'm not paralyzed because of judgment. But Lord, we are freed to live joyful lives because we know you have taken care of everything and you look at us with delight and you free us. So Jesus, may we not just live life responsibly, drink responsibly, but may we follow you and see the beauty of what it is of what you're up to on your journey of restoration. And because of that, we trust in the wood and the nails that you made and you died on because that's our story. That's a sweeter song. We pray this in your name, Christ. Amen.